0: Welcome to Stacey on the Right with your host, Stacey Washington.
1: Joining us now, Democratic
2: Congressman Eric Swalwell. Congressman, we've now heard um, uh, almost word for word the same analysis from uh, former Republican Steve Schmidt, from uh, former Democratic Congresswoman Donna Edwards, from our own Rachel Maddow, that it is time for you guys to get mean and fight. Are you ready?
0: Yes, uh, Nicole, and and we've seen this week that we cannot count on the court to save us from the wrecking ball that is Donald Trump, and as far as what I can do as a congressman, electing a Democratic majority that can push that big red button to stop the wrecking ball, that's what we have to do. But what the Senate should do, I believe Mitch McConnell should believe in his own rules that he set uh, under Merrick Garland, and as long as he is the leader of the Senate, I don't think they should. They should work under any other rules.
2: Wow. Welcome to Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. You're listening to what will be a continuing theme for the show today. The Democrats are losing their minds. They're tweeting expletives at Justice Kennedy and his family. They're wishing that he would just die or get assassinated. They're upset with him for deciding to retire while Donald Trump is still in office and has not yet been given the opportunity to be impeached by them because they realize the handwriting is on the wall. The 5-4 decisions will keep on coming, but that's not their problem. They're looking at the possibility of a 6-3 court, a conservative court that would deliver unto the nation, America, not just right-leaning decisions, but possibly the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And dare we say Obergefell, it's just beyond comprehension for them. So there'll be a lot of, uh, if, you, if you have any popcorn, you might want to get it handy because there's going to be a lot of meltdown moments here on the show today as we listen to the reactions specifically from Chris Matthews, but from others who simply cannot get their minds wrapped around everything that has come from them nominating Hillary Clinton and her loss. So welcome to the show We have one guest for you in hour two. It's going to be Pastor John Hagee. He's going to come on and talk to us today. At this hour, we are going to get into just what all of this means. We have 17 states suing the Trump administration. We have some uh, poll numbers here about the violence and civil war possibilities. Americans are actually turning this over in their minds due to the rhetoric of the Democrats. We'll talk about the top four picks that President Trump is going to interview for the Supreme Court and... What drives success in this country? Is it a secret? Is it something that people have yet to figure out? Or have certain Americans got a good grip on what it takes to be successful and are not only operating within that for themselves, but passing it down to their children and making it a standard for themselves? I am fascinated by this report, and I think it's wonderful news for those of us who believe that there is a cause and effect, that there's black and white, that there are certain truths that are evident no matter what kind of tan you're sporting or how tall you are or how thin you are, or even how much education you have. There are certain things that are true in this country. And so we're going to talk about that as well. Um, So you were listening to MSNBC's Nicole Wallace asking Mr. Swalwell if uh, he's ready to get mean and fight. And my question for her is, what have they been doing? Have the Democrats not been mean enough? Have they not Fought enough. It seems as if to me they've been mean. They've been fighting. They've definitely uh, brought it on in and 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 done so much. Um, I I think it's interesting. Um, it's 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 going to be one of those situations where we have to kind of figure out um, what we're going to do. Uh, and and when I say what we're going to do. It has to be that the Republicans decide early on as a a conference that they're going to put aside their differences in order to get another justice seated. Now, we have uh, a little bit of audio for you from Senator Mitch McConnell, where he talks about how the Senate is going to confirm uh, a nominee. And so he's he's putting it to rest, this idea that he somehow set a precedent that in an election year you cannot uh, nominate and confirm a Supreme Court justice. And I have to say, remember, we were talking about a presidential election that was hotly contested, and that's in the past. And so we don't want to get stuck in uh, what some people have been calling whataboutism, which we're all guilty of. We all say, well, if you're angry at that, what about this? Why weren't you angry at that? But if we're going to really have a, a solid discussion about this, we can't be living in 2016. 2016 Twenty sixteen's gone. 2017 is gone. It's 2018 now. And we have some very serious things to consider. And one of the most interesting things that we're going to get to kind of go over is whether or not the current top four picks, so there have been four who've been kind of pulled aside and elevated to cream of the crop status out of the list of 25, that it's a list from the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation. Those two organizations are conservative organizations that vet Supreme Court nominees and candidates for sitting presidents. And they've actually, someone from uh, the... Um, Federalist Society has actually taken a leave of absence so that he can join uh, the Trump, uh, not not really the cabinet, but the team in advising uh, on these different nominees so that they can figure out which one of the four is going to move forward. And these are very interesting people. So you've got this news out of CBS today and the top four candidates that President Trump intends to interview for the high court are Amy Coney Barrett, Raymond Kethledge, Brett Kavanaugh and Amul Thapar so the this is Jan Crawford of CBS um, and she says three sources confirm three primary front runners and she says that um, President Trump intends to interview three to five so there could be another on the list that we haven't heard about and they're speculating that it might be Don Willett Justice Willett out of Texas and that could be interesting really could um, but the question is, what what will people do um, if it's a woman? Now, we know there's no reason to expect consistency from the, uh, the, uh, the the left side of the aisle. They're constantly talking about the war on women and how horrible it is to treat women badly, yet they're the ones who are leading these mobs attacking Kirsten Nielsen and others. They're the ones who are now saying it's racism to say that Maxine Waters is wrong for calling for mobs to accost Trump supporters and administration officials out in public. That's not, that's not even close to being the case. It's not racism to say someone is wrong about something that they're doing. It's not racism to say, Hey, you know, I think your behavior um, is incorrect. So one of the things that I want to just put out there, and this is for anyone to think through and consider is if we couldn't see the person and we heard them say, You should accost people at the gas station. You should gather together mobs and run people out of restaurants. Don't let anybody have any space or time or freedom in the public. If they're a part of the Trump administration, would it matter to you if the person who said it was black or Asian or Hispanic or, or, you know, or would you just say, no, that sounds wrong. That sounds like something that we've never done before here in this, in this country. And we're not going to start doing it now. I dare say that's un-American. That idea sounds like something out of a third world country where they don't even have good elections every two years and they're currently led by a dictator. That's not racism. So I think obviously the way that the race card is tossed around has precipitated the use of the term the race card. But the way that people talk about what someone has said, if they're white or if they're black, we, I see it all the time in conservative papers and in liberal papers black conservative says blah. And it's a viral video instead of saying, you know, the person's name, they delineate them, boil them down to their correct characteristics. I think that's wrong. I think what we have to do if we really want to stop everything being about race is every time we see someone making it about race, we have to say it's not about race. Stop doing that. Address what she said. Do you agree that people shouldn't be allowed to go pump gas or go to church or go to any place in the public if they support Donald Trump. If you believe that, then let's talk about how un-American you are, not how racist it is to say that's un-American. And, and I understand there's an othering type of a thing. There's a, you know, oh, well, that person isn't American. And the insinuation is the only way you can be American is if you're white. But that doesn't hunt either. Well, look, we didn't did we not just have the first black president? Whatever criticism some nincompoops leveled at him because they don't know how to analyze and correctly assess why they don't like someone or why they don't like someone's positions doesn't mean that that's a problem that everyone has. We all have a tendency to want to protect our own, be among our own, if you will, whether it's people who share the same political ideology, the same faith, the same socioeconomic status, which is the most most often the indicator of how people will clump together or the same. Football teams, the same hockey teams, whatever. We do. We, all humans have a tendency towards that. I've even it's, it's Anthropologically, it's science that women like to group together with women who look like themselves. So that's why you see pictures of friends together and you look around the table and almost everybody looks alike because they want to be friends with women who look just like themselves. It's, it's weird. People don't even know they're doing it. It doesn't mean they're racist. It means that there are natural grouping patterns that people engage in And they're doing it for whatever reason they're doing it for. And so I think we get sucked into the left's war on that. And so much so that there's even been, I've I've seen some discussions surrounding this idea that now that we have these first gay justices, we have the first Hispanic Supreme Court justice who's a woman. We have, you know, the first black justice uh, who's a man. Obviously, we've had white justices. We've had Jewish justices. Now we need a first black female justice. (sighs) <sighs> I'd love to see that. I would. But should our consideration be that we need to find someone who's a black woman, who's a conservative and a jurist, or should it be that we need to find the person who is most likely to deliver consistent opinions that do not interpret the Constitution? And there's, this is a problem that we have because a lot of people have been very, um, kind of unhappy with Justice Roberts for his Obamacare decision, um, him moving over and crossing over and making Obamacare the law of the land, which, thank God, there was a judicial remedy for that or a, a legislative remedy for that, which was, so far, they've been able to undo it by taking it apart piece by piece, and it can still be undone. It's, Obamacare is not something that can't be undone. It is the political will there among the, the legislators to actually get it done. But there's something else that, that people aren't really... Um, Hmm. They're not really doing what I feel like is is good, solid analysis on it. And the reason I say that is because when when we're thinking about who we want to be on the Supreme Court, um, there are some different considerations that are are to be taken. And so, first of all, you have to kind of go into the language. And this is a kind of conversation that uh, you know lawyers are better at having you know, people like that, but we can still understand it. As lay people, we can still get the gist of what's going on here. So I wanna share this with you. And this is food for thought because obviously none of us are gonna be voting or, or having a say in who eventually ends up on the Supreme Court, except that we can reach out to our individual senators from our state. Each state has two. You can call their offices and you can say, I definitely prefer, and you can leave your name and your address so they know what district you're in and that you're their constituent, and you can weigh in like that. But as far as you know, getting that list of 25 that I read a few names off of yesterday down to the list of these four people, well, yeah, we didn't get to really pick that. But that's okay. We can still understand what's going on here. So according to some lawyers that I know, there are four mm, kind of terms, ways that you can assess what kind of jurist uh, a person would be on the Supreme Court. So the first type of jurist believes in originalism, and originalism is defined as what did the proponents originally intend this to mean? So every time they have a case come before the court, an originalist would say, okay, this case falls within this area of the Constitution, and the Constitution says this. What did the founders intend this to mean? You've got textualists, which uh, the majority of these individuals who are on this short list of four are considered to be textualists. Textualists think of cases in this way. Who cares what they meant? What does it say? Who cares what someone might think you meant when you were founding this country and creating the Constitution? What does the Constitution say? Okay. And then stare decisis. What have past courts said this means or other things that are analogous to it? Oh, that sounds really, really kinky. I don't like that. And then judicial restraint. The worst thing you can be called is a judicial activist who strikes down every law you don't like. Don't be like that. If you can find a way to save a duly enacted statute as constitutional, do. Another one that sounds like something I don't like. So, that's the considerations that the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation have taken when they're considering who goes on the list of 25 and then from the 25, who makes the top five will be interviewed. So I found that to be pretty fascinating. I'm happy to share it with you. All right, we'll be back with more right after this.
3: Everyone, I'm Tim Wildman, President of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know we only go to the Holy Land once a year, and that's in March. Last year we filled up several months in advance. So if you want to go in March of 2019, it's time to look at the details. You can get a brochure from us at 800 Families, 1-800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option five, and leave us your name and your telephone number, or go to TW. Holyland.com, twholyland.com. It's going to be a wonderful time in Israel. We'll go to the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Holy City of Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Masada, the Dead Sea, and on and on the list goes. If you'd like to go with us in March of 2019, all the information is available at twholyland.com. Order a brochure by calling 800-FAMILIES, option 5.
0: Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with The Legacy Moment. Sadly, through the years, I've met a lot of people who profess to be followers of Christ, but whose lifestyles don't match their profession. I even know of people who flagrantly flaunt immoral lives and an assortment of other sinful patterns without the slightest hint of remorse, guilt, or conviction. Yet they claim to be followers of Christ. As followers of Christ, we too can struggle with life-controlling sin. You can be a legitimate follower of Christ and struggle with sinful habits. So to be born again does not necessarily mean your life is free of struggle. But what you are drawn to says a lot about the condition of your heart. It's sort of a spiritual statement about where you really stand before God. If you are constantly pulled toward evil, you need to question whether or not you really belong to God. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, God gives us a list of things that he absolutely hates. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, now get this, and feet that run rapidly to evil. He didn't say people who occasionally have problems with sin, he didn't even say people who struggle with sin. He said he hates feet that run rapidly to evil. that are constantly doing things wrong, looking for things that are wrong. What are you constantly running to, my friend? Do you have a heart to run toward God or are you consistently running toward evil? Here's what I want you to remember today. Are you sure you're a follower of Christ? If you're in doubt, make sure. Surrender your heart and life to him today. Turn your feet
1: toward God's heart. More information about the ministry of crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org.
0: Welcome back to Stacey on the Right.
1: Tom hey, Goldstein, D, are you aware of a, a mechanism or a procedure that Democrats could invoke to short of 50 votes? No, and it's not even going to be that close, uh, unfortunately, for Democrats. The real issue is this. Democrats are going to have to vote because there's no procedural way to stop it before the midterm election. And there are just too many people who are running in in elections uh, senators in states that Donald Trump won. There's going to be enormous pressure on them since they can't beat the nominee to vote for the nominee. So I'll take Chris's bet at 10 to 1. I think that uh, whoever it is is going to get confirmed by about 56 uh, to 44 uh and democratic leadership chris is absolutely right is going to try and lay down on the tracks the problems the train's just going to run over them there isn't anything that they can do we'll see okay we'll, see. And we, and we'll take a closer it's look a little bit later the in the part, show what you just said in sir, an hour. it's not acceptable politically to the democratic base it's not acceptable to accept this is a fait accompli
2: oh <laughs> <laughs> ah, so chris is saying this is the hill on which to die let's just let's just get crazy let's just do this thing there's no reason for us to pretend anymore. Now we got to get mean. <laughs> so he's he's really upset. Um, so you've got this this time. It, it's Tom Goldstein, who's the Scotus blog founder. He's saying the odds are in the GOP's favor, and you you can hear Chris Matthews losing his mind. Now we have some more audio of Chris Matthews because he was on all mourning, just apoplectic, losing every every single discussion. He just I can't believe you said that out. How dare you say that? Yada, yada, yada. And he went on and on and on and on like that. And it was interesting because he just seemed to lack the ability to just have someone disagree with him on television today. He just wasn't able to, to do it. He's just like, I'm, I'm done. I'm done having people disagree with me. Everyone who's a Democrat had better understand that they had better block this. But the reality is what Tom Goldstein just shared, which is that you if you're a Democrat in a swing district or if you're a Democrat in a state that went for Donald Trump, especially by double digits, then you have to be aware that your voters, your constituents wanted Donald Trump to be there, which means they probably wanted him to make these Supreme Court picks. And, you know, I, as an aside, if you are a never Trumper or. Maybe that's a little too strong. You just simply dislike President Trump. You're, you know, mildly annoyed that he's president, but whatever. If there's ever been a time where you can kind of just stop a second and thank God, because we don't know everything. We don't know. I don't know why America was permitted to have Barack Obama as the president. I honestly don't. I, I mean, yes, I feel like it was a judgment upon us, but it feels like it was just it was so rough. It was really something to have to endure. And so now here we are, we have Donald Trump, and I'm sure people on the left who are Christians really feel like he's something that they're enduring and it's just so horrible, um, and I understand that. But you have to kind of look at it if you're you're interested in the pro-life movement, if you're interested in the Constitution, if you're interested in slowing the left's continual movement of this entire country into progressivism, which leads to socialism, which leads to communism, then you have to be really grateful right now as Justice Kennedy retires that it's Donald Trump who'll pick the nominee to replace him, who'll pick the Supreme Court justice to take that seat, rather than a Hillary Clinton, who would have chosen someone who not only would have made re-legalized uh, partial birth abortion, would have eliminated a lot of the strictures that we have and sovereignty that we have surrounding our immigration uh, controls. There's just so much. that The Second Amendment would have been severely uh, negatively impacted by her. This is a moment in which we can simply stop for a second and raise our hands and say, thank you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you that we didn't have Hillary Clinton making these two picks. Neil Gorsuch has been a solidly conservative jurist. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's been such a comfort to know where this list comes from, because most conservatives and especially establishment people who were writing about the Supreme Court at the time when President Trump became the nominee back during the campaign, they did not think he had the ability to nominate conservative judges because they felt, you know, this guy's not a conservative. He doesn't even know the the Republican Party platform. He knows nothing about jurisprudence. He joked around about nominating his own sister to the court who is a liberal. Um, And so, you you know, you kind of look at that and you're like, this worked out a lot better than they planned. Thank God he's in control and not, you know, the people who were making all of these terrible prognostications. And so, you know, we've got a few things in our back pocket that we know. We know that Justice Kennedy was the most powerful judge in American history. On almost every case of any consequence, cases that are quoted, cases that drive people like me up the wall, Obergefell, Roe, he was the one who made the deciding vote and wrote the opinions. Uh, he was already the 10th most conservative justice in the past 80 years, according to uh, organizations that watch and track their votes. But his replacement is going to be much more conservative and will shift the court dramatically to the right. This is as big a conservative revolution for our country as the Reagan revolution was. This is going to last, the impacts of this are going to last for decades, word on the street is, and I've been reading everything I can get my little, you know, email uh, cursor on, is that we're looking at these people being in their late 40s, early 50s, which leaves a good 20, 30 years for them to govern from, from SCOTUS. Not govern, but to rule from SCOTUS. Issues like affirmative action, school prayer, gun rights, and abortion will possibly see enormous changes. Um, that, that includes affirmative action. And I've had a few people reach out like, you know, how do you feel about uh, affirmative action? And I've been pretty clear in radio interviews all over the country that I don't support it, not because I don't think that we needed some kind of leveling of the playing field, but because like many things that are programs that come out of the government, affirmative action has been completely and utterly misused. It's now simply a tool for making sure that there are women in every um, location. Women-owned businesses get contracts. It doesn't really help minorities the way it was intended to do. The other problem is that because affirmative action exists, if you are well qualified or overqualified, if you do a fantastic job in high school and come out with a really good GPA out of a good school, if you test well and you get into college, most of the people who are there assume you're there because you're black. They don't assume that you had good test scores or that you're prepared or that you can do the work. In fact, they expect you to fail out. They expect you not to make it past your second year. And affirmative action is the reason why people have these low expectations. The other reason people have low expectations is because of affirmative action. Students of color have gotten into higher educational facilities that their high school didn't prepare them for, and they've struggled, and they have washed out, which is unfair. There are different tiers of colleges and universities, and if we did a better job of matching students to colleges and universities that they can actually handle— more students would matriculate all the way through and would graduate from college. And that is a better result than a blanket mandate from the government that says, if you're black, you're gonna get into college over this other student. Now, that being said, I know a lot of people who would disagree with me vehemently on that who've graduated from college with degrees in pharmacology and law, et cetera, and they feel the only way they would have gotten that slot is because of affirmative action. We have a form of affirmative action And every person gets to access it, and that is Jesus Christ. You know who breaks down barriers, who sets the captives free? Do you know who gives you the opportunity that your upbringing didn't put you to rub elbows at that boarding school or at that country club? Do you know who bursts open doors of opportunity, breaks through glass ceilings? It's our Father in heaven. When he says, that's your job, that's your job. You're going to do the work. You're going to get yourself there through your hard work, effort, and determination and prayer. But if it's something that God has for you, the affirmative action can't put someone else in your place. And a lack of affirmative action can't stop you from getting there. And so I feel like affirmative action, and, and I think there is demonstrable supporting evidence to bolster what I believe here. Affirmative action harms minorities, specifically black people, because it sets up a a, a situation where we're never seen as being deserving of being where we are and any place that has affirmative action the blacks who operate in that environment are automatically assumed to be subpar and unable to get the job on their own and that's just wrong especially when i i just don't know any incompetent black people all of the professionals that i know who are black are outstanding individuals and they're great at their jobs and they belong in the organizations where they are, working right alongside with the other outstanding individuals who are good at their jobs and have great backgrounds who just happen not to be black. So that's, that's where I am on Affirmative Action. And I know somebody's listening to this and they're like, oh, I can't believe you're black and you're saying that. You must hate yourself. Check my Instagram feed. I definitely don't hate myself. And I don't hate anybody else either. Hate brings wrinkles, ulcers, and... Uh, it's not good for your digestion. So I, I, I don't have time to hate. But I will say that um, it's a really weak argument to say that what I just explained to you, it comes from a place of hate rather than to acknowledge that it's just my opinion. And I've read it enough and thought about it enough for me to have that opinion. And I have every right to my opinion. That's a better way of looking at it if you don't agree. So the other thing that this opportunity opens up for President Trump is that once he appoints this justice, no matter what happens after this, if the liberals get their wish and Donald Trump's impeached because he's actually a secret undercover Russian agent, or if he goes through the rest of his presidency and he's completely blocked by the Democrats because they take back the House and the Senate and they're just, they're just completely obstruct him from implementing any more of his agenda, it really won't matter because the history books will show that Donald Trump has the most conservative judicial legacy of any Republican in history thus far in the history of our country. The, two, the appointment of two strict textualists to the Supreme Court of the United States would do that for him. There's also something that people really, it's, it's like, you know, if you, if you think there's a boogeyman around the corner, you definitely don't want to consider that there's a boogeyman and the boogeyman has two friends. You don't want to think about that. But the truth is, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I don't know anyone who watches the Supreme Court who thinks she's going to make it all the way through Donald Trump's first term. There's a distinct possibility, it is very real, that no matter how hard she tries, she will not be able to see through Donald Trump's term, and he may be able to appoint a third justice. That would be unprecedented, it would be outstanding, and it would be a wonderful counterbalance to what Obama did in appointing two very radical judges to the Supreme Court. Now, The other unintended benefit of this, and I just keep, I'm just like, praise God, every five seconds, thank you, Lord, thank you so much, that this does is this gives Republicans a beautiful rallying cry for the November elections because the Senate is so slim. The the, uh, Republican majority in the Senate is so slim, 51 to 49, but it's really 50 to 49 because Senator John McCain is still holding on to his seat. Now, this might be one of those things where I know with uh, with Mitch McConnell, I was like, how could this not backfire on us, him not allowing even hearings on Merrick Garland? But it turned out to be a brilliant move on Mitch McConnell's part. And I have to say, you know, I, I joined in with everybody else who said he was like Lord Vader. You know, he has all these nicknames about how tough he is. And I just have to say, uh, it was brilliant. And it has really changed my opinion of uh, Mitch McConnell. I, I Honestly, if one decision could change my mind about someone who's a legislator that I feel has possibly been too moderate or, or not been really adhering to what the electorate wants, that was it for me. It was a brilliant move on his part. And it, the reverberations from it, we're still feeling the impact. Right now, actually, we're feeling it right now. All of those announcements that have come out at the end of this SCOTUS season those 5-4 decisions, they all go directly to the feet of Mitch McConnell when it comes to the, the legislative move that he made and not holding hearings for, for Merrick Garland because it was an election year. And it wasn't unprecedented. And others have done the same thing as the head of the Senate uh, in, in election years for past presidents under Democrats and under Republicans. So it wasn't unprecedented at all. Now, the rallying cry that I'm talking about when we look at what people are going to be feeling and thinking going into November, is before Justice Kennedy announced his retirement, the Republicans had to motivate people on losing the Senate because, you know, this is important, that's important. The, Repu- the the Democrats have already come onto television, elected officials who are Democrats have already come on television multiple times in the last 24 hours and said that they anticipate the entire process to take at least 140 days, which means they expect to lead it right up until November 8th. because. They're thinking they might be able to run on it, too. I think that's a huge mistake. If the Democrats want to have any messaging going into November, if they want to revive their immigration, uh, you know, they've made this wonderful issue for themselves out of immigration, even though it's not really a new issue and it's it's a non-issue, they've made it something that people have been thinking about and talking about. Then they have to get the confirmation process for whoever Trump nominates over and done with so they can get back to their own messaging platform, what they've set up for themselves. If they drag it out, they make it clear that Republicans cannot stay home. You can't uh, you know, be at home drinking tea or watching American Idol reruns on Election Day in November if you're a Republican. You have to turn out to meet the intensity of the Democrats. Their hatred drives them. You have to be driven by your desire to see the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And if you are a Christian and you're pull, pulling that lever, if, if, if the pro-life issue motivates you, then you have to see this as the first opportunity for your prayers to be answered in your adult lifetime. And if you're a young millennial voter, someone who's grown up with the ultrasound photograph on the, the, the kitchen counter or, the, or your refrigerator, stuck to the fridge with a magnet, then you know what's at stake here. You, you understand that this is the reason why people march by the hundreds of thousands in Washington, D.C. every January. It's the reason we march around the Planned Parenthood in St. Louis and, and we do the Jericho walk. It's the reason we stand on the sidewalk and we pray. It's the reason we offer our homes and our money and our time and our resources to the women outside the Planned Parenthood. It's the reason we pray. It's the reason we track the number of abortions. It's the reason we offer the counseling. It is the reason. This is it. Start praying, everybody. Just why are they so freaked out? Because they know it too. So great news for us. Great news. I couldn't be more pleased to see someone say they were retiring in this moment. So we'll be back with more after this. Stay there. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Tony and I look forward to Tuesdays because it's a time we can give back to our community.
4: And it's also become a date day for us. We see our older kids off to school and get a babysitter to watch the youngest ones. Then Lauren and I visit two Tampa schools where we read to students. Afterwards, we have lunch together.
2: Tuesdays is just another way that Tony and I make sure we're scheduling time for the two of us. Yes, we're both busy, but isn't everyone? So when it comes to your uncommon marriage, T-I-M-E is the key word. Spend time with each other, and you'll see your marriage grow. Tony and Lauren Dungey, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com.
0: Hi, I'm Jerry. I always had to have the expensive clothes and sell the right drugs. But drugs and alcohol eventually broke me. So I came to Teen Challenge, and now I've been drug-free for 10 months. If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk. Listen to Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on Urban Family Talk.
2: She's sharp. I mean, did you hear that? Pointed. Remember that you're not only a Christian on Sunday.
0: And insightful.
2: Deception and lies have been accepted as the norm from the Democrats.
0: But most of all, she's on the right.
2: That scripture from the Bible that says the heart of the fool inclines to the left <laughs> just kept popping into my mind. Stacy on the Right, now
0: heard weekday afternoons from 2 to 4 Central on Urban Family Talk.
2: This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Did you know that the Centers for Disease Control did a study on defensive gun use by Americans? Probably not because the report destroys gun control talking points. A Florida State University criminologist didn't know either and did his own analysis which showed that Americans used guns to successfully defend themselves against attackers over 2.2 million times a year. This number is based upon an unweighted nationally representative sample of over 12,000 individuals. Data from the CDC confirms this result. In fact, CDC data proves Americans used firearms to defend themselves 3.6 times more often than perpetrators utilize firearms to attack them. This information was kept private by the CDC because it doesn't support the gun grabber's mantra that all guns are bad. Instead of hiding data, let's spread the truth far and wide. Lawful gun owners use weapons to defend themselves and others millions of times every year sounds like gun control to me. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com.
0: This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family
4: Talk. Just a few moments ago, Justice Anthony Kennedy announced that he is retiring as an Associate Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court and taking senior status effective July 31st. First and foremost, I want to pause and express our gratitude for the extraordinary service that Justice Kennedy has offered our nation. He served on the federal bench for 43 years. In particular, we owe him a debt of thanks for his ardent defense of the First Amendment and the First Amendment's right to political speech. As Justice Kennedy concludes his tenure on the court, we wish him his wife Mary and their family every happiness in the years ahead. The Senate stands ready to fulfill its constitutional role by offering advice and consent on President Trump's nominee to fill this vacancy. We will vote to confirm Justice Kennedy's successor this fall. As in the case of Justice Gorsuch, Senators will have the opportunity to meet with President Trump's nominee, examine his or her qualifications, and debate the nomination.
2: And that was uh, Senator Mitch McConnell. He is the leader of the House, or I'm sorry, the Senate, and he's uh, laying out the ground rules. And I, I believe part of the reason he made that announcement is because he wanted to set to to arrest any of these allegations that there might be some reason why, why they wouldn't do this, why they would wait, why, and there are calls for him to do that. You did it with Merrick Garland. You have to do it now. Yeah, no, he doesn't. And he's just told you guys he's not going to do it. Um, and, and so I want to also just go over here just a little smidgen more. Um, there's a possibility that this fight will lead to Republicans keeping the Senate Um, because red state Democrats are going to have to tell their constituents why they're holding up the process. And if they hold up the process, which they feel like, you know, that that's what uh, you heard Chris Matthews doing is making this clarion call. You have to, this is the hill you die on. You stop this. You, You put a stop to this. I don't care what you have to do, whether you think you can stop it or not. This isn't about what you think. It's about the action that you take. And if Democrats pick up that, that rallying cry, they're going to feel the, the pain at the ballot box in November. And so that, that's a, a little more of, of the interesting things that we have to kind of consider that, that are the pluses to uh, that, that are addition. These are additional pluses besides the original news that Justice Kennedy is retiring. So now we have Jeffrey Tubin freaking out because Roe v. Wade is doomed. I couldn't have enjoyed this audio more. It's number six.
1: I think sometimes we talk about Supreme Court too much in abstractions about dignity and who's qualified and who's not qualified. Let's talk facts. Let's talk about what America is going to be like that's different. You are going to see 20 states pass laws banning abortion outright, just banning abortion and because they know that there are now going to be five votes on the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade. And abortion will be illegal in a significant part of the United States in, in 18 months. There is just no doubt about that. And wow. that's why these seats matter so much. Uh, because um, they, 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 you know, one of my favorite lines about the Supreme Court was by Justice Robert Jackson Uh, who served on the court in the 1940s and 50s. And he said, we are not final because we are infallible. We are infallible because we are final. (laughs) Somebody has the last word. And here it's the Supreme Court. And Roe v. Wade is doomed. It is gone because Donald Trump won the election. And because he's going to have the the chance. And because he's going to have the chance to appoint two Supreme Court justices. Mm.
2: And that wasn't on some, you know, that that's. That's just some analysis that that there's trying to, to seed the ground and get people ready for what the possibilities are. And I thought that was pretty fascinating. Um, so what are some of the other fears that people are dealing with? Well, if you ask likely voters, you're hearing some pretty interesting things. Uh, we've got harassment of presidential aides and people being chased down in the street, people being told they can't be served at restaurants, which in and of itself, the treatment that Sarah Huckabee Sanders and her husband's experience was pretty mild. Now, her family had to endure some actual protesting, which was absolutely unacceptable. But being asked to leave a restaurant is mild in comparison to being chased down the street like Pam Bondi was outside the movie theater. And the kind of horrible behavior we saw from those activists towards Mitch McConnell and his wife when they were leaving that Georgetown University event. So you've got Rasmussen reports pulling Americans and finding that 59% of all voters are concerned that those opposed to President Trump's policies will resort to violence. You also have 31% of those same people polled saying that they believe it's likely that the United States will experience a second civil war sometime in the next five years. The new polling evidence of fear in the country over political division follows the harassment of three top Trump aides. I just mentioned who they were to you. And also Stephen Miller. I'm not sure if you guys know about this story because we didn't discuss it on air, Um, but it was in the news that Senior advisor Stephen Miller had protesters outside of his condo. And so this also follows the call by Representative Maxine Waters to bring pressure to Trump officials in public. And legal experts have urged Trump aides to apply for concealed carry permits and buy guns. In its analysis of the new survey, survey, Rasmussen highlighted who is most concerned about the violence. Most voters across the partisan spectrum are concerned about political violence from those who are opposed to Trump's policies. Republicans are the most likely to be very concerned. The level of concern is about the same among Republicans, Democrats, and unaffiliated voters when it comes to the threat of violence from those who are critical of the media's coverage of Trump. So they feel like people who are critical of the media are more likely to be violent. And women and those under 40 are more worried about a possible civil war than men and older voters are. 44% 44% of blacks think a second civil war is likely in the next five years. 28% of whites and 36% of other minority voters believe that. Whites are also less concerned about political violence than the others are. So that's an interesting breakdown. I don't know what that says about, you know, the, the likelihood. I would hope that the, the likelihood is very slim. But let's just take a look at what people are saying on online social media It's a good indicator of what's going on. Again, we have to keep it in context. Not everyone in America is on social media. There are plenty of people who go their entire lives or have gone their entire lives thus far without ever sending out a tweet or even reading one. They get their news online, but they don't have Twitter. So it doesn't mean just because we hear, you know, crazy stuff on Twitter that it is indicative of what everyone feels. But it also depends on who the tweets are from. But this is going to kind of shock you. The Washington Post sent out a tweet. Analysis Democrats' bogus argument about what the GOP said about the Supreme Court nominees in an election year. So they had a post about that. Now, the left on Twitter, led by Ian Milheiser, he's the justice editor of Think Progress. So that's hard left politics right there, you guys. He said expletive Justice Kennedy with periods all in between for emphasis. Paul Begala, a name you've heard before, he is the counselor to former President Clinton. He tweeted out, I don't think any Democrat is going to go along with a Trump appointee to the Supreme Court. Not if he or she wants to raise any money or have any volunteers. Now, if anybody could lessen the amount of money that you raise or prevent you from getting all the volunteers you need, it would be Paul Begala. Curtis Cook of Comedy Central said, I wish this Kennedy had been shot instead of the other ones. How is he still on Twitter? He wished somebody had been shot, and he's from Comedy Central. The Palmer Report, which is a progressive blog, the leader of that blog sent out a tweet, we only have to find a way to stall or block Trump's Supreme Court nominee until the midterms, after which the Dems will control the Senate and officially shut it down. But everything depends on us stalling it. Call, march, take the streets, whatever. Your life now depends on this. That kind of crazy rhetoric is the reason why people go out and do violence to other people. They, they, they see that. They're like, my life depends on it. I must act. And then the crazy. Slate, you've heard of it. Slate Magazine. Anthony Kennedy just destroyed Anthony Kennedy just destroyed his legacy as a gay rights hero. Was he trying to be a gay rights hero? Or was he interpreting what he felt like was a right based on what he was told in all of the, the different cases that came before him? I don't agree with what he did. But I don't think he, he ever set out to be a gay rights hero. Think progress. Here is the nasty, unflinching send-off that Justin Kennedy deserves. And then they have an op-ed that is full of expletives. Jeff Schweitzer, a Clinton administration official, last tweet, sent out this message. Democrats have to do anything and everything to block any action on the Supreme Court until after the midterm elections. If they cave, they'll be fully complicit with McConnell's crimes and no better than the GOP. They have to resist At all costs, again, language, rhetoric, messaging, all pointing to doomsday scenarios, which motivates people who are mentally ill. Stop engaging in this kind of dangerous, incendiary talk. It's not American. It's not good. And by the way, just in case anyone thinks I'm some kind of a racist for saying it's not American, all the people who did these tweets, they're all white guys, white liberals. So no racism there. I think it's OK for me to say that they're engaging in a uh, in conversation that's not American. And when I say it's not American, it doesn't mean they're not Americans. It means that the things that they're saying are not the kinds of things that Americans have to worry about. Because when we elect people, no one dies. When people lose political office, no one dies. We don't have coups. We don't have violent overthrows. We don't have radical people taking over our government and changing things up. We don't have armored vehicles in the street running down Americans who are protesting. We don't do that because we have a constitution and we live in a functioning society. So calm down. The sky's not falling. The world's not over. If all of us who are pro-life have been living all this time under Roe v. Wade, then y'all can certainly live when it's gone. How about that? So we have, it's just, I, you know, it's kind of exhausting. You look at it and you think, so people like this, first of all, they spend too much time on Twitter. And my advice to you as someone who's on Twitter and I'm always looking for ways to grow my social media and I want to you know, do a good job on my social media, I have to say to you that it is also okay to unplug from social media and not be on there. If you find yourself, you know, you're kind of, your heart rate goes up and your breathing gets a little bit quicker when you're on Twitter... It might be that you're on there reading the tweets of other people too much and it's an easy trap to get sucked into. And what I've done recently is I took the same route that I took with Facebook because I was so upset about their data collection and them trying to mine my privacy which was only prevented by the fact that I have an iPhone and I deleted the Facebook app from my phone. So I still go on to Facebook but I find I'm there much less often. Now the side impact of that is that I missed some of the announcements, like a friend of mine who I only know on Facebook, she moved from one state to another, and I totally missed the announcement about that. I just caught it on Instagram, and I was like, oh my goodness, I really need to catch up and maybe just shoot her a quick direct message you know, to say, oh, I hope everything went well and you know, pr- praying for you. But I'm not missing the vitriol, and I haven't been in hardly any of the slap fights that sometimes erupt on my page from posting things. So that's been great. So recently, I felt like I needed to delete the Twitter app, and I took my time in doing it. I actually was on Twitter, scrolling through, reading all of the tweets in my timeline and seeing how negative they were, and I thought, this is why I need to let this go. So I'm still on Twitter. I sent tweets out today. I will continue to do so, but I have to do it from my desktop, which means when I have my phone, I'm not looking at Twitter constantly, checking it 10, 15 times a day, checking it every hour, seeing how many retweets I have, et cetera. I still care about it, but it has definitely changed the tenor of my day. So I'm recommending that to other people who, if you're finding that the online social media is getting to be too much for you, you're still going to get your news. You're still going to be able to get the information that you need to, um, to, to operate and everything. You still have Safari. You can still log in. Through your safari app or your whatever app you use to access the internet but if you don't have the app where you can click it and constantly be on there it really makes a difference in how much time you spend on the app so or, or, or on on twitter period and does that mean i might not have as much engagement i'm going to weigh the, off, the weigh the trade off for now and see how that works out for me it might be that i actually spend less time holding my phone and in the big scheme of things, I think that's probably of a great benefit to me and I can get some other things done instead. We'll see how it cracks out. If I decide to put it back on, I'll definitely share on the show and, and disclose uh, how I came to that decision. But I'm just, I'm sharing it with you so because I'm hoping that if you're sitting here and you're feeling stressed out about all this stuff, there's an outlet for us. We got to unplug some of this stuff if we want our sanity. We deserve it. Hey, you know? All right, so um, that's hour one. We'll be back with hour two of Stacey on the right. You keep it here.